Let's open our Bibles together to 1 John chapter 4. As we continue, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Doctrinal heresy is not new to the Christian church. As the apostles warned, erosion of sound doctrine begins with compromise within the professing church, causing it then to crumble from within. For example, in recent years, a pastor of an Atlantic-area megachurch of 36,000 members has begun downplaying the importance of the virgin birth and the authority of God's written word. One of the challenging things about Christmas, he said in a Christmas message a few years back, is the unbelievable nature of stories in the Bible describing Jesus' miraculous conception. A lot of people don't believe it, and I understand that. Maybe the thought is they had to come up with some kind of myth about the birth of Jesus to give him street cred later on. Maybe that's where that came from. He then went on to express less concern about the virgin birth than the resurrection of Christ. He said, quote, Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. It really hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Albert Moeller then followed up the next week with these comments. If Jesus was not born of the virgin, then the Bible cannot be trusted when it comes to telling us the story of Jesus. And that mistrust cannot be limited to how he came to us in terms of the incarnation. The fact is that biblical Christianity and ultimately the gospel of Christ cannot survive the denial of the virgin birth. Because without the virgin birth, you end up with a very different Jesus than the fully human, fully divine Savior revealed in Scripture. A century earlier, Harry Emerson Fosdick became famous during what was known as the fundamentalist modernist controversy of the 1920s and 30s. He was an American Baptist pastor in New York and became the father of liberalism. And in that controversy, uh, the controversy really revolved or surrounded or revolved around five key doctrines of Christianity. First, the inerrancy inerrancy of Scripture, that is, Scripture is without error, Christ's virgin birth, his substitutionary atonement on the cross, 
his bodily resurrection, and the miracles of Christ. Fosdick denied all five of these fundamental doctrines of biblical Christianity. And one of his famous quotes celebrates the freedom that he felt when he decided to let go of the authoritative nature of Scripture. He said, quote, I did not have to believe anything simply because it was in the Bible. How stunning of a conclusion that was. Sixteen centuries earlier, you're getting the idea that this isn't new, in AD 325, church leaders gathered for what is known as the Council of Nicaea to resolve issues related to the false teacher known as Arius. Arius was a man who denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was claiming that Jesus was not God, but he was the first being created by God. Today, you may you are familiar perhaps with some Arian doctrine that falls under a different name. The Jehovah's Witnesses are the biggest advocates of Arianism today, claiming that Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh. He is a that he is one of the brothers of Satan, and that he is the first created being. The first created being. Actually, I just mixed some things up in my mind. Mormonism is the one that teaches that Jesus is a brother of Satan. Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus Christ is the first man, first being created by God. So, in other words, is not the eternal Son of God. This is Arianism all over again. So there was this council of Nicaea of church leaders gathering to, to hammer out the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the council was the writing and acceptance of a historic document known as the Nicene Creed. The creed affirms the full humanity and full deity of Jesus Christ. Its testimony concerning Christ reads like this, And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the, the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Historic doctrine of the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ is that he is the Son of God in human flesh. He is fully God and he is fully man. He is the God man, to use the Apostle Paul's 
wording from 1 Timothy. And any compromise of the nature of Jesus Christ is a dangerous error that will eventually lead to apostasy. And therefore, John urges us in this morning's passage to test the teachings of men. The big idea in the passage this morning is this. Every believer has a duty to discern the biblical truthfulness of everyone who teaches in the name of Christ. It is our duty to discern the spiritual teachings that we hear or read. It is a command of God that we be discerning. It is an expectation as we grow in God's word that we will know the difference between truth and error. See, false teachers in John's day denied the full humanity of Jesus Christ. They were known as Gnostics. I know that I have mentioned Gnosticism a bit before in this series, but let me just remind you of what John was writing against. Gnosticism, the name comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And Gnosticism emphasized a personal spiritual knowledge over subjecting one's mind to the authoritative doctrine. So in other words, you could decide for yourself what was true and what was not. There was no actual measuring stick of truth. Gnosticism is a mixture of religion and philosophy that teaches that matter is evil and spirit is good. And so because they believe that all matter is evil and all spirit is good, therefore then the human body is evil. And the human body is the source of all of our problems. So they misunderstood the nature of sin. And after encountering Christianity then, the Gnostics tried to adapt it into their system. But to do so, they had to change the apostolic doctrine concerning Christ. They had to conclude that he could not have had a material body. Because why? The material body is evil. The Spirit is good. So they wanted to believe that the Son of God is good and pure and righteous and holy, but they did not want to believe that he could possibly inhabit an earthly body because they believed that everything earthly is sinful. But the Apostle John is clear in his letter that you cannot have the saving gospel without the qualified Savior. That's logical, isn't it? You can't have a saving gospel without a Savior. And you cannot have a Savior who is qualified to atone for the sins of human beings like us if he himself cannot fully, legitimately take our place and become the sin offering. And therefore, the Son of God had to become a man so that he could be that one and only sin-atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. So without the God-man, you do not have the perfect sacrifice for sins. 
You have no way of salvation without the Son of God being fully man and fully God at the same time. And so here in 1 John 4, 1 to 3, the Holy Spirit gives to us two admonitions to obey. To be faithful to Christ and his teachings, you must first discern the source of spiritual teachers and their teachings. Look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John says we have an obligation to test the spirits. Test means to put to the test or to examine or to approve after being tested. What does he mean then to test every spirit? Well, he's referring to teachers. But he's also then reminding us, as he has in other places in this letter, that every spiritual teacher is being influenced by a spirit. Either the Holy Spirit of God or other spirits. And so he says, do not believe every spirit. Because every spiritual teacher is guided by a spirit. And so John wants us to test the teachings of men so that we only follow the Holy Spirit, not false spirits. And he says that ultimately there are two sources of spiritual teaching. It is either from God or it is from the world. And earlier in the scripture, he tells us who the world is dominated by. And so doctrine either comes from God or it comes from the enemy, the devil. That's why the Apostle Paul warns us in Timothy to beware of the doctrines of demons. Satan and his minions are about spreading false doctrine, and he does it most easily within the church. He sneaks it in under the guise of Christianity, but then alters it, shifts it away from what is true biblically. In chapter 2, you might remember that John admonished us to not love the world. And the reason is because the world is, uh, he wasn't saying don't love creation and don't love people of the world. He was saying don't love the world system, uh, which is that system ruled by Satan that leaves God out. In other words, follow God's word, not the world. Look what he says in verse 1. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. That was already true in John's day, fulfilling the words of Jesus from Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So <clears throat> even in John's day, Jesus' predictions were being fulfilled. And if that early in the history of the church, many false prophets had gone out into the world, how many more are there now? As many more doctrines, false doctrines, 
have been invented by man. So, according to Jesus, the measure of the source of a prophet is not the signs and wonders that they perform. It is whether or not they are faithful to God's word. That's the test. Peter warns us in 2 Peter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. This was already happening at the time the apostles were penning their letters. There were already were destructive heresies that were being spread within Christianity. And Gnosticism is one of them that John then had to deal with. So you need to discern the source of spiritual teachers and their teachings. But there's a second admonition to heed this morning, and that is depend on the Spirit's authoritative testimony about Christ. Notice the contrast that John makes here between every spirit and the Holy Spirit. By this, verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know that a preacher is following the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So it's very clear here from John that the Holy Spirit's message is different from the messages of these other spirits. And it centers on Christ. It centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So is the incarnation an important doctrine? It's not only important, it's essential. It's essential to biblical Christianity. If you begin to question or deny that the Son of God has come in the flesh, that he was born of a virgin, and he lived a sinless life on this earth, and then he was crucified for our sins and rose from the dead three days later, if you begin to question or deny that, you are departing from Christianity, true Christianity, into some false religion or cult or something of your own invention. But we don't have that freedom. We don't have that privilege, I guess people would call it in today's, with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit and you all have knowledge that every believer has the Holy Spirit and therefore has the ability to discern spiritual teachings according to 
the word of God. These antichrists, little a, these false teachers, these false prophets, had woven their way into the Christian church. And yet, John said, in time, their errors became obvious and became known, and they then departed from us. So we need to understand how critical it is that we listen to the Holy Spirit's testimony about Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes us, through the Word of God, to confess that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God who became man so that he could then become our Savior. Now, look back at the Gospel of John, also written by the same apostle, but he recorded the words of the Lord Jesus in John 16, telling us the very purpose for which Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, or in in that time, that he would send the Spirit in the future. The Holy Spirit is biblically also the Spirit of Christ, and that's because he is sent forth from Christ, by Christ, and sent forth by the Father. But if you look at John 16, we'll pick it up in um, the second part of verse 4, where Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Or there are some things I didn't teach you from the beginning because there's something coming. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So this is the first time that Jesus has told his disciples that he is going to be departing them. And so they're logically, naturally, they're sad. Sorrow has filled their heart. Heart. But then he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And now he tells them who this helper is. But when the Holy Spirit comes, or when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says... The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention 
to Christ. He shall glorify me. You want to know where the Holy Spirit is working in today's world? It is the places where Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, who became man and died in our place and rose again, is preached and exalted and sung about and sung to and worshipped. That is where the Spirit of God is most at work in today's world. Jesus says, He shall glorify me. And what does Jesus call him in verse 13? The spirit of truth. There is a marriage between the Holy Spirit and Scripture. The Holy Spirit produced Scripture, inspired Scripture for us. He has forever married himself to the written word of God. But some cleverer people today say, Oh, the Holy Spirit isn't limited to Scripture. He is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Well, obviously he's God and he can do whatever he wants to do. However, he has chosen to limit himself through what he has recorded. And he has given to us his word and said, this is the book by which you must test all other spirits. Oh, but you're so narrow-minded to think that truth is only found in the Scriptures. Well, then the Holy Spirit is narrow-minded because the Holy Spirit is the one who has revealed himself and he has revealed himself in truth. And we have that truth preserved for us by the providence of God in Scripture. So we need to learn to depend on the Spirit's authoritative testimony about Christ. That is what John says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So clearly, John is saying, we have a duty to test the spiritual teachings of men. And one of the clearest ways to test the spiritual teachings of men and their source is to learn what does this person teach about Jesus Christ? What is their doctrine of Jesus Christ? Because only the sinless Son of God, the God-man, can save us. Turn backwards one more time in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I just want you to see Paul's confession of faith in Jesus Christ as both God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 1. He begins by reminding us of the sinful life that he was saved out of. He was converted from being a Christ hater to a Christ lover. It says in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, 
because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly, in other words, in my pre-Christian life, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, he sees there was a moment in time in which the Spirit of God convicted him of sin, righteousness, and judgment and brought him to faith in Christ. Then he goes on in verse 15 to give this amazing one verse, one sentence confession of faith in Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus, by putting those two names together, what has Paul done? He has forever united the Jesus of Nazareth of the New Testament to the anointed Christ predicted by the Old Testament. He is Messiah. That this Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he believed he was most needy of all of God's forgiveness and mercy. But I received mercy, verse 16, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Is that your confession this morning? Is that your testimony? Can you say with Paul that, that this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom you are most needy. Do you see yourself that way? We should. We should see ourselves as being the most needy sinner in the world. For we alone, besides God, know the sins that we have committed, the hidden things in our lives, in our past, and present. We alone know how desperately we need the Savior who will cleanse us from all of our sin. And if that is true in your life, then in keeping with what Paul has said here, that Jesus Christ has begun a good work in you, he will complete it one day. But he is right now displaying his perfect patience in you and in me so that others may come to know this glorious Savior. That's our mission. That's our calling to lift him up. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great love that moved you to send your only begotten son to be born of a virgin, to clothe his deity with human flesh, 
to walk among sinners for over 30 years to display your glory and love and compassion and mercy and then to display your righteousness by going to the cross and being that one and only acceptable righteous sacrifice who died in our place, took upon himself our sin burden, the grief of our sins, the weight of judgment. And he paid for it completely, so completely that he said, it is finished. And three days later, you rose him from the grave to prove that you accepted his sacrifice. And now he sits at the right hand of God. He sits at your right hand waiting to return to bring his church home. God, I pray that in the meantime, we would just fall more and more in love with this Savior of ours, that we would be willing to to go through difficult times in this world as there is an increasing falling away from true doctrine. Give us courage and perseverance and faithfulness. And Lord, as the Holy Spirit works his truth into our lives, needs it into the very fabric of our being, may our lives become an example and a testimony of what the grace of Jesus Christ can do in a sinner's life, that others may know him. Glorify your Son through our lives, we pray. In his name, amen.